How's it going, sports fans, bettors, and cappers? And welcome back to the Competitive Hedge Podcast. I'm your host of the show, Kenneth Cotterell. This is episode 214, and this podcast is all about sports and the world of betting. We talk about the latest in the sports world before giving you some plays on the betting front. Now, we got a special guest for part two of today's episode. It's Jeff Hunt. We go into Wise Guy Wednesdays as we break down some of the NFL headlines from the past weekend. But we got a little bit of a lighter slate in part one. Talk a little bit about UEFA Champions League day one. And then we preview day two and Thursday night football. But as always, before we get into today's episode, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Before we get started with today's episode, are you looking to make some wagers? Then head over to bet99.com. Bet99 is a Canadian sportsbook and casino that offers in-play betting, player props, a cash-out option, and many more great products. There are a variety of sports available on the website to bet on, including NHL, NBA, NFL, and MLB. Bet99 works smoothly on both desktop and mobile, and the mobile app can be downloaded from the website's homepage. Now, depositing and withdrawing funds is hassle-free with a number of well-known methods available to use so you know your money is safe and secure. The website can be viewed in both English and French, and customer service is available 24-7 with their live chat option. So go to bet99.com today to make an account. Use code SHOOTERS at signup. And please gamble responsibly. You must be 19 plus years of age to do so. And if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or the gambling of someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Now, let's get back to the show. Land money line, unfortunately, at half a unit missed. But we did have Lazio and Atletico, both teams to score hit. Very fortunate for that one, and we'll get into why in a little bit. But when we're talking about sports betting, we also got to give a shout out to Betalytics. They do a phenomenal job over there and took a look at it when I was looking at my uh, plays for Monday Night Football and seeing Adam Thielen was a pretty good grade on there. I did end up jumping at him to score a touchdown, and he was able to deliver. So be sure to go ahead and check out Betalytics. Use code HEDGE. For 25% off. They've got great deals over there for the NFL. And then with NBA and NHL coming up as well, you definitely don't want to miss out with Betalytics. So UEFA Champions League day one, early slate was pretty solid. We did get a nil-nil result in the Milan-Newcastle game, but it was very up and down in the first half with Milan creating a ton of chances. They really deserved all three points on the day. In fact, if you go ahead and look at the XG, it was 2.34 to 0.18. So Milan really deserved three points. And when you're in a group as critically tough as this one, then they needed all three here for sure. But Leipzig, they were the other early game. They ended up beating Young Boys 3-1. to one. I was worried when with about 10 to 15 minutes to go, they were in a tie game. But Leipzig was able to pull it out with a very long strike and then adding another one in extra time. Now, in the later window, it was just a lot of favorites taking care of business. The Beast took care of things. Porto, they picked up a valuable three points on the road. Manchester City and Barcelona both won by a combined 8-1. to one. PSG with probably the most valuable result of the day, knocking off Borussia Dortmund 2-0. And they're in that Newcastle and Milan group. It is the group of death for a reason, so getting all three points was amazing. But if we're talking about the game of the day, or the moment of the day, I guess you could call it. It has to be Lazio goalkeeper coming up and scoring in stoppage time. He is only the second goalie ever to score in open play in the Champions League. And that hit our both teams to score. I haven't celebrated like that in a long time when it comes to footy. And so really loved watching that game. One of my favorites in quite some time. Now, if we're talking about other results from the day, uh, we did get Feyenoord ended up winning 2-0 as well over Celtic. A couple red cards there really hurt the Scottish side. Now, when we're looking ahead to day two on Wednesday, we'll get to the United game in a little bit. But as you can tell from the banner, I'm not super excited for this game. Group A-wise, we got Galatasaray and Copenhagen in the other matchup. And Galatasaray, they're second place in the Super League. And they're taking on first place Copenhagen from the Superliga. I do like Galatasaray at home. Not enough at minus 170 to bet it, but it is one to keep an eye on throughout the day. Group C, we've got Real Madrid minus 250 taking on Union Berlin. I think that that one has the potential to be 
a bit of a blowout, although I have been reading a lot on Union Berlin maybe being a little bit stronger than they're getting credit for from the Bundesliga. So at minus 250, I'm a little bit too scared to take Madrid. I know that they always perform well in the Champions League, but this may be a watch and see. Maybe Berlin is one of those sneaky teams that could come out of this group, but when you got Napoli in there, it could be a little bit tough. Then you got Sevilla minus one taking on Lens at plus 305. Second best team in Group B taking on the likely the bottom with Lens. But Sevilla have not been out to the best start when it comes to Spanish soccer this year. So it does leave a little bit to be desired. And when I see minus 110, I do get a little bit concerned about whether or not they're going to be able to pull through. So 17th place in the table in Spain does not inspire a lot of confidence for me to bet this game. Then you got Benfica minus 240 against Salzburg at plus 600. Benfica sit fourth in Portugal, and they're taking on first place in the Austrian Bundesliga. I may look at a spread here with Salzburg. I think that they're getting a little bit undervalued here. You could find plus one and a half and make it playable. So I may end up doing that. Might see how things go early in that match and then bet it live. Then you got Arsenal minus 250 versus PSV Eindhoven at plus 625. I'm inclined to take Arsenal here. This is their first trip to the Champions League in a little bit of time, but I do think that they are the better side, despite the fact that Eindhoven are first place in the Eredivisie. Then you got SC Braga, who are plus 325 versus Napoli at minus 125. This is my favorite one of the game. You got the eighth place team in Portugal taking on the Serie A juggernaut. I faced that Porto game yesterday, and I decided not to play it. Now I'm looking at a road matchup like this, and I think Napoli is going to take all three. I think that if I'm looking at a play on the day, it's going to be that one. And then Real Sociedad plus 205, taking on Inter Milan at plus 140. If Napoli's the Serie A juggernaut, then Inter Milan is right there with them. And at plus 140 on the road for the first place team in Italy, taking on the 11th place team from Spain, I think you could have some potential value there as well. And then when we get into Thursday night football, Early lines out right now have the Giants at plus 10 versus San Francisco. Saquon, original reports where he's going to be out three weeks. Now Dayball suddenly saying that he might play. I think it's a crock of shit. And quite frankly, I think that Dayball should be fired if he starts Saquon in this game. Ayuk is questionable on the San Fran side, but they do still have a lot of guys in that lineup. Shoulder issues as well. I don't know if you want to risk it. I think this one is not going to be relatively close. So I would be looking at San Francisco if you're going to play anything for Thursday night football. But our official plays for the Champions League for today are coming up now in our Last Call Pick segment. This is sponsored by Last Mountain Distillery. And before we give you our official plays, let's play the video. Distillery is family-owned and operated located in Lumsden, Saskatchewan, the heart of grain country. Saskatchewan's first micro-distillery success lies in their commitment to producing high-quality handcrafted spirits. Their craft distilling process brings out the full flavor of the grain and leaves a smooth finish unlike any other. Check out their local vodka, dill pickle vodka, and their old-fashioned, to name a few. Really love the support from the local company that is Last Mountain Distillery. But I think we've already hinted at it with our Champions League plays. I really like Napoli Moneyline at minus 125. I'm going to play that for a full unit. And in my half unit play, I'm going to play Inter Milan. You would think that I'm an Italian fan with three of my first four picks of Champions League action being Italian clubs. But I think Napoli win, Milan win, and they both get rolling in the Champions League. But really appreciate everyone that gave today's show a listen. Stay tuned for part two with Jeff Hunt. We get into a ton of really fun topics, and we really appreciate you guys as always. Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge Podcast. It is part two of episode 214, and I'm joined today by what be, must be an absolutely thrilled Miami Dolphins fan, that being Jeff Hunt. We're talking about a 2-0 and Dolphins team, where when we did the AFC East preview, we said the Jets aren't it. Well, Rogers obviously going down. That, that helps a little bit with that take, but... 
How you feeling about your Dolphins, Jeff? I'm loving it. This is, uh, I keep thinking and thinking and thinking about it. And I can, I can like remember roughly 40 years of Dolphins football. And this is, this is definitely my favorite non Dan Marino team. And it's probably one of my top, maybe top four Dolphins teams of all time. I I love the way it's put together. I love the coach. Uh, I love where they're going. I love beating New England at New England. I love not being like worried about the other shoe to drop. Now I know injuries and anything can happen, but like, as far as like foreseeable future, you don't like, it's not like what we saw with the Browns. Like, Oh, here we go again. Like it really feels like the dolphins when they step on the field or, or if not, if they're not the better team, they still have a chance to win every game. And that's pretty cool. We don't, it's been a while since it's, Really, it's been since the Marino year since we felt like that. So I'm just enjoying the ride. And it's also a type of team that I like. So it's really, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, I'm really getting it, you know, from all angles. And uh, it's, it's been a blast. And I was thinking about that today. Our ASE's preview is, is so correct already. We're only at week three, but we pretty much nailed it. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. Watching Dolphins right now, I think it's one of the most exciting teams in the NFL. Obviously, they gave us the game of week one with the Chargers, but even the way that they played against New England was it's not the prettiest win in the world. 24-17. I don't think anytime you face the Patriots this year, you're going to have a a relatively uh, pretty win, we'll say. But uh, nonetheless, they're able to pick up the victory. So this is a new segment, actually, this week that we're introducing and we're calling it wise guy Wednesdays. And I couldn't think of a better guy to have on for it than, than Mr. Jeff Hunt. And, you know, sometimes when you hear wise guys, it's in a sarcastic tone. It's actually not. Uh, The whole point of it is to bring on people that I respect when it comes to their sports takes and especially NFL with you and just talk about maybe some topics that, you know, for whatever reason you wake up and you decide that I want to turn on first take that, uh, (laughs) Those, these topics aren't going to be on there, but they're ones that I think should definitely be examined. So we got a couple for the AFC, a couple for the NFC, and then we're going to get on out of here for today's episode. So let's start with team that we kind of mentioned earlier, the Chargers, <laughs> uh, and that game with Miami. Uh, they find themselves at 0-2. They're probably playing like the best 0-2 team, which begs the question of, will Brandon Staley be the first coach fired? And this topic came to my mind because I was someone that was in on Herbert's going to have a great year. I like the Chargers win total to go over. Like I thought that this was finally going to be the year and the Chargers, as they do, they they've let me down so far. So it's a couple of tough losses to open up the year. Obviously the Miami one, one possession, then you get the Titans loss in overtime. So it's not as if the team is playing bad, but with the expectations coming into the year, What are your thoughts around this one? Is this a wise guy take that he's going to be the first coach fired or is it a not so wise take because there might be some other guys out there? No, I like it because I really looked and and I don't, you know, this is a real topic to talk about. It's not super comfortable to talk about people's jobs, but we're talking about sports here. This it's going to happen. Um, The only, and what's funny, it's a, it's kind of an odd league right now because you take out all the teams that are either pretty good or have an established coach. Like, you know, like Belichick is the one, like, no, you know, I mean, guys like that that just aren't. And then you really break it down. Zach Taylor, 0-2, is fine. There's zero chance, you know, these yeah. guys like that. So when I really broke it down, there's really not that many candidates to be fired because first-year coaches typically don't get fired until after the season if they do get fired. Uh, they usually get a chance. If you have a brand-new quarterback like down in Houston, you're not getting fired. You know, if you have a rookie, you know, one of these rookie, you know, quarterbacks, um, you know, like I said, if you have a shot at the playoffs, you're not getting fired. Most teams are going to have a shot at the playoffs. So then I, I narrowed it down to two. It's really Chicago and the Chargers. Um, and I went with the Chargers. I do think that Staley is going to be fired because when I look at what the Chargers are doing, you just talked about it. Offense looks pretty good. They're good. The offense has been good enough to win. Like I know we're coming down on Herbert and all these things. And, and that's not entirely wrong. Um, you know, he does still have some evolving to do, but this offense is way better than a lot of offenses in the league that, you know, aren't zero and two. And a lot of the reason they lose is coaching decisions. We saw it in the playoff game last year, um, both games this year. Um, they, 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 they make, it's like, he doesn't care about the decisions early in games that cost him at the end. I said, um, you know, I watched the dolphins game with my wife. I think it, you know, it's fading a little bit. I want to say it was the first quarter, uh, Staley, you know, does he's, you know, he goes for two. And when I, I remember looking at the scoreboard then being like, here we go. Like this is going to haunt him. And sure enough, it haunts him later in the game because those start piling. It's the little analytic stuff that he does that he's married to. 
um, that, that they keep costing them. That's all coaching. Um, you know, like, like a, a, just a lot of the reasons they give up these leads is coaching. So like, I think he is, I think he's the coach most responsible for his team being 0-2. Like, I don't think Zach Taylor's responsible for the Bengals being 0-2, even though they're a good team. The Chargers – now, the Chargers played Miami. Um, I don't think they looked that bad. I think they played a really good team first, so I don't even put that on him. You know, yeah. last week's a little different. Um, you know, it looked like a game that they should have been the better team and just just couldn't get it done again. And at some point, you got to be tired of waiting on that. Um, so I, I really do think that he's probably the only in-season coach fired this year, and I, I think it's going to happen. I like the the point that you made of he's the one who's coached them to zero and two because yep. we talked about you you mentioned it. There's teams that heading into the year when they're talking about being five wins and that would be a, an okay season. Like <laughs> Chicago Bears are in there. You probably got the yeah. Houston Texans in there and a number of other teams. You're not going to fire the Bengals head coach. It's just not a. It's not going to happen based off the years that they've had the last couple. When we look at the Chargers, the thing with them last year was, while the defense is hurt, well, Herbert doesn't have weapons because Allen's missed time and Mike Williams has missed time. And granted, Eckler didn't play week two, but apparently we're in a league where you should be able to plug and play running backs, right? Like you should be able to plug in Josh Kelly and have a relatively okay day on the ground in the Chargers. They didn't have a terrible game on the ground last week. Herbert's not playing at a poor level either. That That's what's so strange about this team to me is that you look at the numbers and he's actually playing quite well with Kellen Moore calling plays. Keenan Allen's getting involved. Mike Williams is getting involved. They're trying to mix in guys like Parham and they're trying to get Quentin Johnson in there. But for whatever reason, they're just coming up short right now. And I know that you look at those two games the Miami one, that was a toss-up, I think, for everyone. It, it was going to be a track meet. That's what we ended up getting. Could have gone either way. You look at that Titans game. I was on the Chargers last week, but road game against a Mike Rabel coach football team. And quite frankly, just Mike Rabel outcoached Brandon Staley last week. And 100%. that's why you have to talk about Mike McDaniel outcoached Brandon Staley week one. So if you're going to be in that elite AFC conversation, and they should be, they've made plenty of moves to put themselves in a position, whether it was getting Khalil Mack a couple of years ago, they still got Bosa. They've still got plenty of playmakers on that defense, yet they find themselves at 0-2. Now, I'm trying not to panic too hard for Charger fans because I actually have a few buddies of mine up here that are Charger fans, but I start going down the schedule and you better figure it out the next couple of weeks because – you're welcoming the Minnesota Vikings, or sorry, you're going to the Minnesota Vikings. Not a great defense. So Herbert should continue to play at a high level against that team. You That's the game right there. You got to circle. Like at this point, the Chargers are better, should beat the Minnesota Vikings. It should be no question. I mean, in my opinion, it should be no questions asked. If you're if you're going to be who we think you're going to be as the Chargers, that might be the game. That might be the game we're talking about the next that the next day we're having this conversation. And then you have the Raiders. You know, divisional games can go either way. But that being said, the following two weeks, we're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and Dallas Cowboys. So you better not let it slip because then you're asking them to go in and win at Arrowhead to welcome that Cowboys defense and win. We saw how elite they've been the first couple weeks. You start to get worried about it that what if they start one and three and then suddenly they drop those games. Now we're at one and five. And then this is a very real reality that he doesn't see Thanksgiving being the Chargers head coach. So I thought that it was a fair take to at the very least bring up because yeah, the Bears head coach, I mean, as much as Justin Fields has missed some throws and he's maybe held onto the ball too long, they have also had some horrendous play calls. They called the same play three times in a row on Sunday. (laughs) That's that's inexcusable. So. They're the worst team I've watched this year. That none of none of it, what they're doing is making sense. They need it's just they need a complete restart, and that's another reason why. Why would you fire a bad coach if you want Caleb Williams? Like yeah. I, well, I I'm sure you might have saw it the other day. I tweeted first thing I was, after that Chicago game was I feel bad for Caleb Williams because like <laughs> this is going to be a mess. I might have even brought it up on Overreaction Monday, but you know, like that he's staring at <laughs> he's staring at this, and there's. The future, it's not like one of these teams to where like they've got all these building blocks and you can step in and be good. They're a mess. That that roster doesn't make sense. Um, Fields has to like 
he has to go get, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but he, this, this just, it's, I think it's just done that they're a mess, but again, they're not going to fire their coach. Cause why, <laughs> what, yeah. what good would it possibly do? Except unless, unless it just made you feel better as a, as an owner, just to do it. It might be the only reason you fire him. But, but again, if we're talking about first coach, I think we're looking at Staley. We're potentially looking at the bears, as we mentioned, I think it would have to get really ugly for some of these other teams. Like, It'd have to be a lose the locker room entirely situation. Or an off the field situation. Yeah, or off the field. But that was kind of my thoughts around around Staley. Now, speaking of the AFC, let's head over to a division that I'm sure that people (laughs) didn't view it as a, a spectacular top to bottom division to start the year. And that was the AFC South because everyone loves Trevor Lawrence. He's heading into his third year i believe fourth yeah. year and him and fields are in year three yeah so third year then you've got will levis and malik willis not playing in tennessee because ryan Tannehill's still there and then you got a couple of rookie qbs you've got cj stroud some pretty limited weapons but honestly they've at least fought the first couple weeks i'll give yeah. them that much and the colts coming off having a tv analyst as their head coach last year so <laughs> jeez the thought process for me was how many franchise quarterbacks are there? Because what I was hearing after Sunday was, man, Richardson looked great until he had the concussion. Hopefully he's going to be all right. CJ Stroud, man, he he looks comfortable in, in Houston. So how many franchise quarterbacks for you from what you've seen in a pretty limited amount of time for a few of these guys actually exist in this division? So, like, I'm going to call a franchise quarterback a quarterback that, like, doesn't necessarily – I'm not I'm not going to say that a guy is going to be there 12 years and win two Super Bowls. I'm saying a franchise quarterback is, like, you're not looking for another quarterback for, we'll say, eight years. Like, I'll, I'll put it this way. This is a great example. David Carr was a franchise quarterback for the Raiders. Like, yeah, that's, how, that's how – Yeah, yeah, Andy Dalton. So, yeah. I'll say three. Um, I know, like, Lawrence has his ups and downs. Again, he has, he has growing to do. But we – the his his potential so good and we've seen not just his potential but we've seen him fulfill it when he's good he's really good i have no doubts that you know he'll keep working and and he's going to be fine down there um i do believe that stroud is going could be a franchise quarterback just keep the offense the way it is you're you're in that dome do i think you know do i think he's going to win 13 games in a year probably not but do i think he can win you nine to 10, you know, for several seasons. I do. I think he's, I think he's, I think he's a professional quarterback. I think that's what he wants to be is again, David Carr. That's just who I think of when I see these guys. And then um, I'll, I think I'll say Richardson is mainly because I got to give the benefit of the doubt to like, you know, we've seen him play for a game and a half. Um, Again, he's in a dome in that conference. He's got all the tools. Guys like that don't come in the league as often as people think they do. It's hard to find Brock Purdy's of the world. You got to get so fortunate. I won't say lucky, but fortunate that it works out. Um, Tennessee, I don't think. My gut feeling is out of all three quarterbacks that that's not who's the next in line. Um, Tannehill like is fighting for it, but obviously he's at the end of the kind of the end of the road, and especially with the money and all that. Um, I never thought. I, I guess Willis, I don't know. I, I would assume he would be the quarterback now if he was going to. Um, I really liked him coming out of college. But when a guy doesn't play and he could, that that concerns me. Um, you know, sort of sort of like what we had out there in San Francisco. And, um, you know, in um, shoot uh, Levis, uh, I just I, I didn't see it in college and I don't see it now. I'm not going to I'm not going to all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah, this guy that I didn't think could be an NFL quarterback is going to be a franchise quarterback. And there's just no way that you're going to have four franchise quarterbacks in one division. I'm three as being kind. And two, I'm fairly confident in. And Richardson, I just haven't seen enough. But when he's when he looks good, I'm like, that that looks great. So, And I think we've come to a different time, not to spill off too far here, but like, you know, I've seen Tua go through this. I think we've come to a time that we can, because of the lack of hitting quarterbacks and they can – they can develop some time and some confidence. I think that it's easier to build an offense now for a quarterback and that you like, they don't have to be this. They don't have to be Ben Roethlisberger anymore. You know, they don't have to be this ultra, you know, they don't have to be the Tom Brady, you know, they can be average and you build a perfect offense for them and they can be successful for a while. So I think it's just changed so much. And that's what you have to do. It's like, 
It's no different than college. You have so many quarterbacks that are kind of similar. So then you build an offense and then they can, they all look good. Um, Bryce Young even has a chance 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, he has no chance uh, because yeah. of size and all these things. He's got a chance if they build a perfect offense. We see Baker Mayfield um, sticking around, thriving a little bit with Tampa Bay. Um, he's limited, but you know, give him a comfortable offense and the guy can keep playing as to where he'd have probably been out of the league, you know, you know, a decade ago. So uh, I think they can build around these guys. They seem like professional kids. So I'll go with three. Sometimes I think it is all about situation. Sure. And I think that Richardson and Stroud ended up in a really good one for them for their first year, because they get to square off against each other a couple times. You get to face a veteran in Tannehill a couple times. You get the Jags a couple times, who's a team that you're striving to get to that because that is the benchmark currently in the AFC South, which is kind of crazy. Which is crazy. About, which is crazy to think about. The worst team in the league. They are the benchmark there right now. Now, I think there's no doubt for me, uh, I'm not Chris LeBron. I actually think that uh, Trevor Lawrence is it. I think that he is a guy that yeah. – did he have a, a bad game on Sunday? Yes. Did he play well the week prior against the Colts? Yes, he did. So I think that you give a, a quarterback one or two of those starts a year and he's still a franchise quarterback. And I think that they see it – I. You're talking about them building a perfect offense around a guy like that, getting Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk there, Zay Jones is out there, Evan Ingram. Like they've added the pieces. They've started to add the O-line. They're trying to do kind of a dual back thing there with Etienne and uh, Big Speed. But again, it, it, as you said, in the league today, you can build an offense around a quarterback. Especially one and, that's that athletic and that good. Like yeah. he's got a lot of tools to build around. He kind of reminds me like it's no different than like when Russell Wilson came into Cincinnati or shoot, Seattle, my bad. Um, I, I think Lawrence could be that. Like you can build an offense to his skill set that can be awesome and he could be awesome for eight years. Uh, you know, he's that's that's kind of who the my comparison would be is to like when Wilson came in, you're like, okay, this guy can do a ton of stuff. Let's 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 help him and let's then you know and the rest is history. For years for him, I think the win and lock it, and then they had a DK. Yep. Yeah, they, they've done what they could there for him when he was in Seattle. And then when we're talking about the two young guys, Richardson, it for me, it's unfortunate because I really would have liked to see that offense with a back like Jonathan Taylor there. Yeah. And I think that it had the potential to to make the Colts maybe a little bit of a sleeper in the AFC. I think once once JT wasn't a go. I like Michael Pittman. I don't think that the rest of the weapons are truly there for him to succeed from a passing no. perspective. He's got the athletic gifts. We've already seen that. He had three rushing touchdowns in six quarters of football. So very clearly he has those athletic gifts. I think you give that team a couple more years to truly build around him. And that's the nice part about where Jacksonville is at and where everyone else is, is that you look at the AFC and it's like, okay, now actually isn't a bad time to be rebuilding because yeah. – we're going to have to rebuild if we're going to be going up against some of these juggernauts that you have in the AFC. And and it really takes two years now to rebuild. Like these teams are proving it across the league. Like they, when we say rebuild, like if you told me three years from now, the bears are good. I believe you. Like it doesn't take that long to flip your roster um, because there, there's a lot of money out there. You got to get the right quarterback. Um, I think Jacksonville is going to be really good by the end of the year. Pretty good. Um, their offense, I, trying to figure out what they're doing with the running back situation and stuff. Sometimes I feel like it's a little confusing and 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 kind of stunts it a little bit. But I, I think they're going to figure it out. And then if they get to that playoff form, I thought in the playoffs they were great last year. Should have beat the Chiefs. Like we all know it. Yeah. Um, I thought they were great. And if they they they'll get to that form by mid the, September, we know that's preseason NFL. It just it really is. And then when we're talking about the other two, I like what Houston's doing. I, I like that. You know what? They, they said draft a quarterback the year prior. They said, you know what? We're actually just going to go with Davis Mills for another year. Let's try and just build the rest of the roster a bit. The weapons aren't big names, but I mean, you even look like a guy that they drafted in Tank Dell. He had a really good game on Sunday. You got Nico Collins there, who's been very solid for them. I think they're starting to get there. Damian Pierce being the lead back there, I think is a nice piece. Um, but the rest of the roster just has to catch up a little bit. It'll take a couple of years to do it. I think Stroud is... He's going to still perform at the very least, and I think he's shown that through the first couple of weeks. And then when you look at the Titans, it feels very Mariota-like of last year with Tannehill still being there. Yeah. Where you've got Ritter sitting there. 
Except now you have two Desmond Ritter sitting there. Oddly it's, it's, a, it's the weirdest quarterback situation the in the league. Room. And I would assume as well that they're going to go to Willis to see what he has before they turn to Levis. But I wouldn't be shocked if all three of them started like five or six games this year. Like you get Tannehill, they get two, a one and four, two and three situation, maybe two and four. Then you decide to go to Willis. Maybe he's not it. Now you look at Levis and then from there, then you're going to have to make a decision because again, they're a very well coached football team. And I think that it's very Belichick like, obviously for able being yeah. under Belichick for so long, yep. he probably learned 100%. a few things, but he plays teams tight. He knows what his strengths are in that offense I like Traylon Burks a lot. I think that he has the potential to have a bit of a breakout year for them along with D-Hop. So I think that the pieces are there for them to at least evaluate what they have in that quarterback room. It's just do we see enough snaps of them to truly get that opportunity throughout the year. But the thing about Vrabel, like, and we know this about him, he definitely is or should be and will be and thinks of himself as like go for a Super Bowl every year coach. So like yeah. he also may just not care about the quarterback situation. Like it's yeah. very possible. Like if you told me that because you know they're gonna pick up they might pick up five wins in the AFC South. So now like you only got to steal five more wins and you're in playoff contention. If he's in playoff contention and Tannehill's playing decent like he did the other, you know, Sunday, I Brable's gonna go for it. You know what I mean? He's not gonna throw it as to where Houston's in the advantage of like we're going to let Stroud cook. We do not care if we win or lose the game. And that's uh, – that's. I think that is a proper way, if you're going to start a quarterback early, to let him do it. Like, tell him, hey, do not worry about what the defense does. Do not worry about this and that. As long as everybody's on the same same game plan, he's going to learn how to throw the ball a lot. Um, you know, that's – we lose that skill set in the NFL. We think these guys come in, and since they can throw it really well coming out of college, then we never have to worry about the throwing the ball. The NFL speeds up, especially – I mean – coming out of Ohio State to where, you know, your receivers are open by 10 yards a lot. Not that he didn't make super tight throws, trust me, but you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. like, sometimes just reps. It's no different. Like, you know, we watch so much NBA. Sometimes, you know, you're on a bad team. Get that young guy in there. Let him go. Like, shoot. Shoot. Young man. Learn how to shoot in the NBA. Learn how to score because in three years from now, Malik Monk or whatever, we're, like, it's going to pay off. Yeah. And so exactly. just let, let Stroud go and in three years – you you build a defense and you might have something when they try to they try to harness these young quarterbacks or what they did with Fields is like oh go out there and do it any way possible you're not learning anything and then you still have a bad team and an undeveloped quarterback so man let them rip <laughs> take your losses get another well, draft pick detrimental I think we even see it with Fields where yep. he's just looking over his oh, shoulder a, the whole time and playing with zero zero confidence right now. Yeah. He has no really idea what's going watch. on. And to the Vrabel point as well, I think that's what makes it so much more confusing why they drafted Will Levis as well. Because, it doesn't make any sense. Because if we're talking about Vrabel, and, and I agree, I think he wants to win every single year, and he wants to win a Super Bowl every single year, he realizes, man, I like Tannehill, he can be good. He actually was pretty good against the Chargers, but he can also yep. look like he did against the Saints. And if we mix Ooh. in a couple more Saints performances – Ooh, then I might bad. have to go to that young guy. And that's going to be a tough reality for him, I think, if they do turn that way. Because the second they decide that Tannehill is no longer it, like he's gone. There's no way that you can 100%, yeah. show Willis, show Levis, and then you go, ah, you know what, next year we're going back to Tannehill. Like, It'll be weird. That decision, then, then the Band-Aid's off. It'll be weird if Rabel gets get has to play with a developing quarterback. It's going to be a bad mix. We'll, we'll see, but it's – in. He he just ain't that dude. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely not. And so let's move over to the NFC. And we're talking about some of the 0-2 teams, some of the teams maybe that have some young QBs in the room. But we've got a young QB in a room that finds himself at 2-0, and and that's the Washington Commanders. And, and I think it begs the question, are the Washington Commanders actually a good football team? Now, Context is everything. We saw a couple of years ago the Broncos started 3-0, and and we were like, what the hell? The Broncos are good, and then they finished with like five wins. Now, I don't think that it's that bad here. I think that you beat Denver in mile high. It's never easy to go and win in Denver. You played Arizona in not a great performance, but you pick up the win nonetheless. Both wins are – Arizona wins aging well. Yeah. So – 
are they actually a good football team, Jeff? Because I, I truly don't know. I look at the NFC East, which is crazy to think that we're seven and one as a division. And you're like, well, is the NFC East really good? Or is it just who they've been playing through the first number of weeks? So what do you NFC? Think? First of all, the NFC East is excellent. Um, so here, I'll, what's I don't, that's what I'm going to judge the commanders on the commanders. The commanders are a good football team. Um, what they've done and I, cause I, I complain about this so much with these teams that bring in like, like they don't seem to have a plan. They don't seem to like, like we talked about Chicago, like it's just, it's just a bunch of talent going different directions. And this team like is a team. And I think, you know, the best asset they have is that they know that they're just a good football team, not a great one uh, that they don't expect. They know they're not winning 13 games, but they know that they can win any game. And so when they come into a game, the other team, if they, they let up at all, they're in a fist fight. Um, you know, how's playing better. I think he's playing a little better than I thought he would. Like his stats look really good, but like, it's another one of those, like when you really watch him, but he's doing pretty good. Robinson looks great. The running back. I mean, that's been, that's been huge for him. Uh, I saw Chase Young, uh, is, is getting up to speed. I think there was a point last year to where people were thinking like, is he going to play, you know, at a high level? Is he going to be, I hate to knock him, but like, is he going to want, is it going to be a Jadavian Clowney situation to where, you know, it's not going to be what we thought, but he's going to be good. Or is he going to get back to, you know, closer to like what we they want a TJ Watt? Not that I'm saying that. I'm saying that's what they want. Yeah. And he's leaning more towards, and you know, elite when he's playing good. That's huge. Defense is always tough there. They've got some decent offensive weapons. But what I like about their offensive weapons is like they know what's up. You know what I mean? They know that, you know, they know it's not going to be 500 yards passing a game or whatever, but they – when they take the shots, they're making big plays. Um, you know, they get they they always seem to they have for the last few years they get like good turnovers and turn them into points and hang in the games. You know, they always so they just keep. I assume a lot of that's Rivera. Uh, I don't think he's a great NFL coach, but his teams seldom look, get embarrassed. Like they they always look like they're professional football players out there and have a plan. Um, yeah, I think they are good. I mean. The problem with the commanders have is that they're a good team and a great division. I, I really think this division is great. Like, not it's almost historically great from top. It's rare to have four teams that are this good. The Giants are a better team than we saw. Yeah. Um, the top, you know, Eagles and Dallas are really good, really, really. So the commanders are going to lose probably four four games in their division if they have a even on like two wins in that division would be good and they could still have four losses just in their division it's just gonna be hard to scrape together enough wins but they're gonna be fighting for nine ten wins um it's gonna come down to the last couple of weeks of the season they're gonna have a shot at a wild card spot um as, you know assuming everybody's healthy which we're assuming that about everybody so i will say they are a the top half football team um for sure um they just they're just professionals they look like they go out there and just like they kind of remind, Tennessee is a great example. Yeah. Like this team shows up and they're going to play the game and they're going to take it serious and they're not going to, they're not going to pout. They're not going to give up. They're going to try to win. They take each, they're going to try to win each game they play. And it's, it's, they're going to wind up scraping up. I bet, I bet I'm thinking nine wins at this point. I think the problem for me with Washington is the narrative over the last couple of years has been more about what was off the field than what actually yeah. they've been doing behind the scenes because I actually look at I was more impressed with their offense than I was heading into the season and they've got seven guys with over 50 yards receiving to start the year like yeah. it, it they spread out the ball they've got the two backs with Gibson and Robinson I didn't know what to think of Sam Howell but but it's such limited action that that's why I couldn't go in on the commanders this year because until I see it and it's the most important position in football I, I just had to see it first. Now, seeing him through a couple of weeks, I think he looks like a slight upgrade from Taylor Heineke, and we know what Taylor Heineke took them to, which was nearly the playoffs. Yeah. So you've got an improved defense. You've got a lot of weapons there. And I think that they're, I think that they're a good football team. And, yeah, they are like the titans of the NFC. They are, unfortunately, in the NFC East. But when I look at the rest of the conference – why can't they be the seventh team that gets in? That's where I've got them. I got about, there's a yeah. few teams that we feel pretty comfortable. Like it's the San Fran's, the Dallas's, the, the Phillies. Like those are three of the seven. Like unless something drastic happens, those three teams are in. 
Now, who are the remaining four teams? And through a couple of weeks, it's tough to argue that they haven't been one of the top four NFC teams in the conference. And I'm interested by this one. I think that they're going to be a fun team to watch. I think it's going to be a great evaluation week because they get Buffalo this week. They're at home. They're near touchdown dogs. I think they have a great chance to cover that spread. I think they have a great chance to put up a fight, maybe scrap out a win. And then suddenly in a week's time, we're like, wow, the commander, the Washington commanders just beat the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. I should have brought up. They they have to play the AFC East also. It's, it's brutal for the NFC East and AFC East this year. Like they're going to beat each other up. And then a team, we're going to see a, you know, a team like Tampa Bay, you know, they're going to be fighting with Washington, the Rams, um, Seattle. They're going to they're, they're going to be fighting for those last couple wild card spots. But a really good team is going to miss out just because the schedule is just nasty. Um, you know, if you're in the NFC East or the AFC East and you and you get if you get double digit wins, you beat some really good teams along the way. You just that's just the way it works you, out. You are the definition of battle tested. If yeah. you win 10 or 11 games, you are a battle tested team entering the playoffs. And you probably have a leg up on some of these teams that have had, you know, <laughs> you get the <laughs> NFC or the, uh, whoever wins the AFC uh, South, NFC South or NFC North, then, then you feel a lot better about it. So, I mean, Washington would be the best team in the AFC South or the NFC South, right? At this point, at this I mean, point, through two at weeks, this yeah. point, yeah, through two weeks. So, let's talk about the NFC South. We've got a team that's 2 and 0. After last night, they had a very unimpressive win over the Titans, 16-15. Probably, I mean, there's been a few ugly games to start the year, but it's probably in the top five, that that first game against the Titans. It was tough to watch. And then they scrap it out and get a road divisional win. And I think what's confusing for me is what is wrong with this Saints offense? And people will point to Derek Carr. And Carr's been fine to start the year. He hasn't been great. You've got a practice squad running back that just had two touchdowns last night in Tony Jones. I'm super fired up for him. That's awesome to be able to step up on a Monday nighter and potentially earn your keep for the next little while. Yeah, he, he didn't help out the running backs of the league last night, did he? <laughs> no, he definitely didn't. And then Taysom Hill's still there. One of the just – I think he's the most infuriating player to watch because everyone is like, we are in the age of fantasy football, so no one's starting Taysom Hill. And then he comes out there, and then you're like, I need Olave, I need Michael Thomas. And then Taysom Hill comes in, and he takes a direct snap and runs for the first down that clinches them the game. But this is an offense that on paper, at the very least, looks like it has potential. You've got Michael Thomas back at 100%, who just a few years ago was one of the wide receivers in the NFL. You got Chris Olave. We're one more week away from getting Alvin Kamara back as well. This is that's why it's so puzzling for me because they get 16 points week one. I think they had 20 last night. So not an offense that's clicking on all cylinders. So what do you think is wrong with this offense? Do you think, think it the, starts with Carr? Um, I mean it I'll say it starts with Carr just because he runs the offense. He's yeah. he's playing as like as good as he played last year. I don't I'm not, I've never been super high on Derek Carr, but I've also admitted that again, like I said, he's a, he's a, he's good enough to get to the playoff quarterback. What, what I really see is, and I, I don't, I've, I don't do a deep dive into the, you know, Saints offensive coordinator, but their offense just doesn't look, it doesn't look modern. Like, you know, there's just, there, to me, it just, first of all, it doesn't look like there's any continuity between like, it almost looks like a kid playing Madden. It's like, the plays don't make any sense back to back. Like, you know, to me, you know, it's, it's just kind of feels like, Hey, let's just guess and see if this one works. And if that doesn't work, I think Michael Thomas is a problem. Um, something doesn't feel right. It's been like this for a few years. Something doesn't feel right when he's in the game. Um, you know, I don't know. I didn't ever expect him to come back to the saints. I thought there was a problem there when he, cause there was some, it's hard to remember now, but a few years ago when his injury started, there was a big question about if he was injured or not. I don't know if you, you know, yeah. kind of recall oh, that yeah. the, the contract stuff. Um, he feels like one of these old-fashioned wide receivers that just makes it hard for the rest of the team. I, I'm not sure. You know, I, I would have no idea if that's accurate. It just it shouldn't feel that clunky with a receiver that good out there. Um, I think part of know. the reason for that is 
You go from Drew Brees, who force feeds you 160 targets yep. over the season, and then you get put into an offense that was Jameis Winston-led, and I can't even remember all the QBs that they've had in oh, there. Oh, jeez. Between as well. Taysom played QB for a couple games there as well. And then suddenly your target share dips by half. And yeah. then, I mean, there is an ego that goes along with you or a Madden 99 guy. It's yep. they, they were saying you're better than Julio Jones. And we were all like, I mean, he caught more passes than Julio, but they yeah. were a lot of seven yard in routes. So I think that's probably pay, played a little bit of a role in that. Um, and I, I remember the, oh, he's he's hurt. And it's like, well, he's walking up and down the sidelines. And yep. I don't know, it feels like he could go. And then last year with the Jameis situation, he was in and out. and He wanted no part of playing with Jameis. Which I love the video today of just showing him uh, welcoming all of his teammates into the locker room. They had the video of him. He's the last guy in the locker room. He's just out there. High five and everybody. I think it goes to show why Jameis is going to be in the league for a long yep. time is that you can expect that from your backup quarterback. And he's a guy that can step in and he could give you a game maybe where yeah. he takes care of the ball a bit, then he could win one for you. So, yeah, this offense is – and the thing is, I don't think that Kamara coming back changes things because it wasn't great no. last year with him. So – Tony Jones and Kamara, I don't think is going to light well, up the world. We also don't know what kind of, like, it's been a couple years since I, I know Carr had, I, I guess it was only a couple years ago. Carr had some really good stats and it looked pretty good. But I was right about the time Gruden got fired. I mean, I will say that, but like, I don't think we quite know what the perfect offense for Carr is. Um, you know, I don't, maybe, maybe they're just quite unsure how to build around him. Uh, maybe it's not the type of receivers they need. It just feels like, I mean, the biggest play last night was, you know, the one-handed catch by Alave. Great throw, but that's also interest from just being a long incompletion. Um, you know, there's, I don't, I don't, I get nervous when teams don't have open receivers. Like there's some, there's a breakdown when your receivers aren't open. It's either the receivers or it's the scheme. Uh, you got it. It just doesn't seem like they work to make space. And then out of nowhere, they just kind of hand it to a running back. It's, it's I don't know. It's just kind of a stale offense. There's a few of those around the league right now, but um, New Orleans shouldn't be one of them. And again, it's week two. Yeah, I, I and, get and I it. That's the thing is, I think it it may be solvable because we've got two weeks of Derek Carr in a brand new system. Yeah, but I'm not sure what the system is though. I really don't know. <laughs> no, I don't either. And and you talk about it's either the guys aren't getting open or it's the scheme, and it's like, well, got Chris Olave on the field. I've never really seen him have an issue getting open until yeah. until now. So, yeah, I do get a little bit concerned about that. I think they're going to be a fascinating team to watch. Quite frankly, it's a fascinating division to watch. Yeah. Their defense is their defense is solid, so they're that's they're they're going to be all right. But and, and it'll probably get better. But I don't know. Carr's just one of these guys. He's great at the podium. He's great at the press conference afterwards and coming up with all these reasons. He does everything. But then when you just when you watch him on the field, there's there's just always been something missing. I mean, he's a bit of a throwback quarterback. Um, you know, it's uh, yeah, awesome tank tops. You know, it's really, really cool pregame stuff. I get it. Um, you know, great speeches, says all the right stuff. Some some real candid, Tim Tebow-esque uh, speeches uh, sometimes from Carr. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's a, a great teammate to have, but there's limitations as a quarterback, but we don't. We don't care as much about him because he acts so much like like a Tom Brady that he's just not. But like you're like, man, this guy, you know, just he re really plays the role, and that's kind of what he's doing. As you know, as to where we're so hard on guys like Lamar Jackson who are a little awkward and a little weird, but they're really much better quarterbacks. You know, yeah. th there's a perception out there, so maybe we're just expecting too much out of Carr. And and honestly, I think part of that comes back to they've done it so much more in their career. Like when Lamar plays bad, he just steps up and says like, I got to be better. Yeah. But when you're Derek Carr and for half your career, you've had to step up there and talk about either why you cost them the game or why you probably hindered them yeah. from winning, then, then you're a little bit more well-versed when it comes to uh, trying to explain why you need to keep your job. And again, we're not saying they're a bad team. We're just asking no. what's what's wrong with the offense. It, they're just, they're at not, the end of the day, we're talking about a 2-0 football 2 -0. team. 2-0 in that division, you're good. But you're, winning, you're winning division. 
when, when you're two games into the season, every take that you have is going to feel like an overreaction. And then we're going to look back in the middle of October and be like, hmm, Saints just hung 35 on a team. I think that offense is going to be just fine. I'm wondering if they let Carr cut off his shoulder pads to really like let, let expose some biceps if he would play better. I wonder if I wonder if his jersey is too constricting. I think his arms are too big. I do think that the podcast episode today is Jeff loves tank tank tops, and I think <laughs> that there's really no alternative of what we're going to name uh, episode 214. That's great. So. As always, Jeff, I love having you on the show. Appreciate you coming on. Um, are we still calling you retired at this point? <laughs> like, um, like, this is back-to-back nights. You're you're doing a double header. You're playing more than Kawhi Leonard has. So I'm, I'm like the guy. I'm like the guy that like retires, you know, from the mill or from the, uh, you know, from the um, building cars or whatever, and then develops a hobby like working on a boat and so then he spends like 30 hours a week working on a boat so you know what i mean so it's like he's enjoying it but he won't commit and say that that he's working but he gets up every morning and goes out and works on a boat it's kind of where i'm at right now i I picture you as the guy where everyone used to go to the coffee shop to have have a coffee before they head (laughs) off to work and then jeff retires but he still goes that guy was always the guys go to work and you go See you guys later. Have a good day. See you tomorrow morning. That that's around, where Jeff's at. Like around here, around here, it's McDonald's. The retired guys go to McDonald's and hang out and drink coffee. Anytime you go there, they're there. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So that's that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying to figure out uh, having a having a good time doing two or three shows a week with Locked On Buckeyes, the, the Off the Ball Network. You know, guys like you. Um, I've got a horror movie podcast I just got invited to. So I'm not running out of things to do, but I I, I can tell I can tell everybody this from experience. Being a guest is so so much better than being a host. I miss my show, but man, I'm having a blast. But um, I, I got strict orders from my wife, um, much like a guy that retires and needs something to do. I get strict orders. Like I had to either a shut up, shut shut the bleep up, or <laughs> start podcasting more because she was not my sounding board. Um, she made it clear. So um, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a good husband. I'm doing what my wife says. So here I am. I think that's why I podcast because my wife can't stand listening to me talk about sports. You are correct, sir. Once you get into the winter time, you don't even want to go meet a buddy at the bar. You're like, ah, I'm just going to do a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Appreciate everyone that gave today's episode a listen. Be sure to check out those betting plays from early on in the show as well. We got some champions league and then we gave you a little Thursday night football play as well, but appreciate everyone that gave today's episode a listen and we'll see you guys next time for the competitive hedge podcast.